Again, welcome to those of you online joining us this morning. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to finish the very end of that chapter that we didn't quite finish last week, and then hopefully work our way through chapter 13. So we are picking it up in chapter 12, verse 13, where we were talking last week about the woman who is Israel, um, and then Satan being thrown out of heaven, um, and then what happens at the very end here with the woman who is Israel. And then in chapter 13, we get into the beast from the sea. So we're going to pick it up reading here. It'll be up on the screen if you like to follow with us. I think we're going to read down to verse 10 of chapter 13. And so let's pick it up there. Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority." I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, uh, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him uh, over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world." If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Let's just keep going. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. 
He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs, which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So Lord, we thank you for your word this morning and for speaking to us through it already. We pray that you would give wisdom and understanding to your word as we consider it together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we get into it this morning, I'd like to bring up um, some slides and sort of just walk us through this sort of at a higher level, and then we'll come back and go through it. If you could bring up those slides, please. So there's our chart that we're familiar with as we've been working through this. We're now exactly in the middle of the seven-year tribulation, Uh, that red box there. So that's what we're getting to this morning. If you'd like to go on to the next slide, please. And then uh, last week, or the week before, we looked at the, we were in the interlude of the seventh trumpet, and right now you could say we're on that red line going from the bottom of the seventh trumpet to the the first bowl uh, of the vile judgments. So we're sort of on the way to that. We're not there yet, but it looks like what's going to happen is right as the Antichrist commits the abomination of desolation, which he's doing in in our passage, um, then God is going to begin to pour out his wrath in an amazing way. So we're, we're on that red line just to sort of give you a trajectory of where we are. Then the next slide, please. <clears throat> and then this morning, what we're looking at is three sections. We're looking at the woman who is persecuted, who is the nation of Israel being persecuted by the Antichrist. And then the first half of chapter 13, we're looking at the introduction of this, this creature, this character called the beast, who is the Antichrist. And then the second beast is introduced to us in uh, the second half of the chapter. And this second beast is actually this person called the false prophet. So if you go to the next slide, please. So something just to help us gain our bearings as we think about this. We have Jesus Christ and we have the Antichrist. And the term Antichrist uh, can be understood in two ways, and I think it should be sort of understood in succession or in a hierarchy. Antichrist uh, means that he's the instead of Christ. We often think of him as being in place of Christ or meaning the opposite of Christ, and he is that. But in every way, Satan is trying to usurp the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ Wears many diadems, we'll see in chapter 19, but we'll see here the, the Antichrist. He tries to mirror what Jesus does. He has 10 diadems on his 10 heads. 
Jesus is given a worthy name in chapter 19, and Jesus has many worthy names. Here's a few of them. He's faithful and true. He's the word of God. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But the Antichrist has blasphemous names. We're not even told what they all are, but we know what some of them are. Devil, the Antichrist, the deceiver, the adversary. And so they all speak of his evil nature. Jesus Christ points men to and causes people to worship God. The Antichrist causes people to worship Satan. Jesus has the power and the throne of God given to him. That's just one reference. There's many places. Satan has the, uh, or the Antichrist has the power and the throne of Satan given to him. Jesus Christ died but is alive forevermore. But we have here the Antichrist having a fatal wound but being healed. And in many ways, he's sort of, in a sense, mirroring the crucifixion, except Jesus was crucified for a righteous and a holy reason. The Antichrist, it would seem, by this fatal wound, although we're not told exactly, probably was an an assassination attempt on his life. So that's just to give us a little bearing on Jesus Christ versus the Antichrist. Next slide, please. And then we also have this second person, the the second beast, who is the false prophet, who sort of mirrors the Holy Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit points men to Christ, and we know that in this section we just read it, the false prophet, the Holy Spirit, so to speak, of the Antichrist, points men to the Antichrist. The Holy Spirit, we know, is an instrument of divine revelation, Jesus told us there in the upper room. The false prophet is the instrument of satanic revelation. We know that the Holy Spirit seals believers unto God. The false prophet marks unbelievers with the number of the Antichrist. So in a sense, he seals them unto condemnation or damnation. The Holy Spirit seals us unto salvation. The Holy Spirit builds up the body of Christ. Many passages we could put there, I just put a couple. The false prophet builds up the empire of the Antichrist. The Holy Spirit enlightens mankind with the truth, and he will lead lead and guide us into all truth. The false prophet, rather than looking for truth, seeks to deceive mankind by miracles. So he, like in the Old Testament with Moses and the Pharaoh and the the priests of Pharaoh, when they tried to uh, replicate Moses' miracles that God did by his authority and power, so will the false prophet be able to replicate miracles. Is that the last slide? I think so. Oh, there's one more. Okay. Uh, Then there's some biblical titles for the Antichrist that we should be aware of. Um, So this is as many as I could come up with. Uh, So there's, he's spoken of as the wicked one. Again, some passages for that. He's spoken of as the little horn in Daniel chapter 7. He's spoken of in Daniel chapter 9 as the prince who is to come. He's here in this chapter. He's a vile or a despicable person. He's uh, the willful king listed in Daniel 11. He's called the man of sin or the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians. He's called the son of destruction. He's called the lawless one. He's called the antichrist, and that term comes from John the apostle in his, his writings. He's called the beast many times here in the book of Revelation, and he's also called the false prophet. So we can see all of those titles. So when we see those titles, we can recognize that it's talking about the same person. It's talking about the unholy trinity of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. 
as we read about them. That should be the last slide, right? So that's just kind of overview for us to sort of get us into what we're going through this morning. Uh, I realize that as we go through these things in the book of Revelation, that it's challenging to put this all together and to make sense of it. But as we walk through it this morning, hopefully that will help us sort of be grounded as we get into the details. So in chapter 12, verse 13, now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. So the dragon uh, was thrown out of heaven. Remember, we looked at that last week and we went back and looked at Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, where it talks about in, in eternity past, how Satan was in heaven. He was a cherub. He was an anointed cherub. He was the star of the morning. He was probably a worship leader in heaven. And we saw that he was cast out of heaven and how he rose up against God and he spoke vile and blasphemous things to God. And he said, I will be like the most high. And he stated from the beginning, that was his intention, was to usurp the throne of God. And the thing of it is that Satan is a created being. God created him. And he created everything for his pleasure. And yet Satan led, as we were told last week, a third of the angels of heaven in rebellion. And so God cast him out of heaven. And when he sort of woke up on the earth as he was thrown out of heaven, he began to persecute the woman who gave birth to the male child, which is a reference to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, coming out of the nation of Israel. Now this here, let me just translate it for you. This is anti-Semitism. And this is uh, the other things we looked at, how, the, how Satan has always been at odds with Israel. We looked at how when Jesus was born, you know, through Herod the king, he had all the male children under two years old killed. And all of these attempts, uh, you can go back and look at the genealogies in Matthew and Luke and see, as you read through those genealogies, you can see how Satan way back in history tried to pollute the bloodline of the Messiah and how he tried to find a way to break the chain so that the Messiah could not have the holy lineage that he had. So there were many ways that the dragon had been attacking the woman or Israel over, over history from the very beginning. And we were told in verse 14, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So we have this unique experience now where as all of this is happening, as the Antichrist is sort of rising to power and he's revealing his true colors and he's breaking the peace treaty with Israel that he promised. He's, he's turning now and he's, he's going to attack the very people he made a covenant to protect. And so it seems that God, being who he is, who loves his people, and this is why, by the way, we sang that old song this morning about the battle belongs to the Lord for this verse. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle. Now, was she given literal wings? I don't think so. But God gave her safe passage. And so the nation of Israel sort of vacates the city of Jerusalem and the region there. And where do they go? We aren't told exactly into the wilderness and to her place that God had set aside to protect her for the rest of the time of the tribulation. Most people believe that that is the city of Petra. And if you know anything about Petra, if you looked into it, it's this amazing city that's built in the cliffs way out in the desert south of the Dead Sea 
that easily could house many, many, many thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands of people. And so we believe that that's what this is talking about, that this is where the Lord is going to take his people out to the city of Petra, most likely, where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time. So as we read this morning, remember we've uh, looked at different ways that this time is stated, and let me review it with you. Uh, Sometimes it's referred to as three and a half years. Sometimes it's referred to as time, times, and half a time, time being one a year, times two years, and half a time, half a year, so that's three and a half years. Sometimes it's referred to as 1,260 days, and sometimes it's referred to as 42 months. If you do the math, it all adds up to the exact same number. And so as we see this here, God is taking his people out to somewhere and he's protecting and nourishing them uh, from the presence of the serpent, it says. So God takes them and he sends them out. Now, when, when God did this very same thing to the nation of Israel as he was delivering them from the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt, let me read a couple of uh, passages to you. In Exodus 19, verse 3, here's what it says. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how, you, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now that's a reference, is it not? To where God had his people out in the city, in the land of Goshen. And then the Passover came. Right? And it was the tenth of the plagues. And that plague was the death of all the firstborn. And, he, and Pharaoh finally relented and he said, you can go. But as soon as he said, you can go, and they started to leave, remember they had probably something in the neighborhood of two million people who were fleeing out to the desert. They were headed to wherever God was leading them, out to cross the Dead Sea to head over to the Promised Land. And then as he got them to the Dead Sea, remember they were hemmed in, uh, on three sides by the, the, the sea, um, the Red Sea, not the Dead Sea, excuse me, the, the Red Sea, the mountains, and then the army coming from the other side, the Egyptian army. And then he's saying here, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God gave them safe passage. What did he do? He parted the Red Sea. And as they went through the Red Sea, they were held back, right? They weren't allowed to pass. And as soon as they were getting through or almost through, God said, fine, go ahead and pursue them. Then they pursued them into the parted sea, thinking, hey, well, if they got through, we can go through. But God let them come in. And what did he do? He swallowed them up by the sea. And so this same idea is what God is doing here. And so we also find that this is referred to in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Remember, that was called the Olivet Discourse. And here's what it says, if you want to make a note of it in Matthew 24. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, that's when the Antichrist goes into the temple, goes into the most holy place, declares himself to be God, probably sets up an image of himself, as we just read, that, that the, uh, the beast declares, build an image and tells everybody to worship it. And so he goes in and he declares himself to be God. He violates, he desecrates the most holy place in the temple. And it says there, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go go down to take anything out of his house. 
And let him who was in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been seen, has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, and that's the three and a half years, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. The elect's sake is referring to the nation of Israel. So we find in verse 15, so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth. Isn't that interesting how he took the very way that he was defeated at the Red Sea? And he tries to, to, to kill the nation of Israel as they're fleeing out, out to wherever this is, to Petra or wherever God is taking them. And so he spews water out of his mouth. I don't think this is symbolic. I think this is like special effects from a movie, like when you see a satanic beast and he opens his mouth and all of a sudden this this gushing torrent of water comes out after him and he thinks, I'm just going to wash him away. I'm going to wash him over the cliff and down into a valley and the weight of the water will crush them and kill them and they're all going to die. And so the the dragon does this, the serpent rather, and uh, out of his mouth a flood like uh, came after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Verse 16, but the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Isn't that so interesting? He tries to to take these things from history and reenact them, but use them for evil rather than for good. And what does God do? He opens up the earth and allows the earth to swallow up this, this mighty gushing torrent coming out of the, the serpent's mouth and he protects his people. Now listen to this amazing verse in Isaiah 59, which again ties into that song we sang that the battle belongs to the Lord. Isaiah fifty-nine nineteen. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And that's what God does here. And he protects his people. And let this encourage you. When you are going through something that is overwhelming, that is too great for you, that you just feel overwhelmed by. I was just talking to someone this week about how, you know, sometimes when we just get really tired and fatigued, uh, we're just like, you know, wiped out, right? Like I, I was coming back from this trip. And little things can become big things, right? And all of a sudden, we can't even deal with the little things. And the big things we used to be able to deal with, well, now those, those things are gargantuan. Those are mountains. But God is able to help you. God is your protection. He is your shield. It's like I, I read in that psalm earlier, unless the Lord had been on our side. And so God was protecting his people. And so the dragon, verse 17, was enraged with the woman. He got even more mad at her that God protected her. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. So he's like, if I can't get the nation of Israel, I'll get everybody else. And I believe the offspring that he's referring to here, since the woman was Israel, is likely those Gentile tribulation saints. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But he's like, if I can't get them, I'll get them instead. And so he's just raging. And he says, 
uh, who he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see, this points to the fact that during the time of the tribulation, when someone comes to Christ, whether it be Jew or Gentile, we're going to see here in chapter 13 as we move into that, that it's going to cost them their lives. So in chapter 13, in the first 10 verses, we see the first beast. So we see here in verse 1, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. So there's the unholy trinity, and here are the players. The dragon is Satan. The first beast is the Antichrist, the instead of Christ. And this is the one world ruler who has arisen, this person who manifests himself as the Antichrist. And then he has a second beast. He's called the false prophet. Maybe it would be helpful to us, as I mentioned, he's sort of the anti-Holy Spirit, to think of him as sort of the vice president. So he has the Antichrist and basically his vice president, right? And so that's who we are dealing with here. And this imagery in pointing to the beast is saying basically Satan is behind all of this. Satan is orchestrating this. And he has his agents, the Antichrist and the false prophet. And these three control the world and its systems economically, politically, and spiritually. And so as we are in this period of history, no longer is there a freedom of religion there is going to be one world religion. And that one world religion will be the worship of Satan through the image that we read about earlier. So there are a number of scriptures here. I'm going to refer to them, but if I take the time to read through all of them, it's just going to take a long time. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, Remember, that is the prophecy that talks about the, the 70 weeks of Daniel and what happens with the first 69 weeks and then what happens with that 70th week or that 70th seven. And then um, in Daniel 7, he talks about the, a beast and uh, the description of the beast is very, very similar to the beast we see described here in 13.1. Um, and then in Daniel 11, we see a reference to the king shall do according to his will, meaning the beast, uh, the Antichrist, uh, being empowered by Satan. So in Daniel 11, 36 and 37, we see that he basically takes over and begins to make his own laws and, and causes people to worship him. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, that whole passage there talks about the Antichrist, but in, in verses 2 and 3, it says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, meaning this day, the day of the abomination, will not come. Uh, excuse me, the day of uh, the second coming of Christ will not come unless first the falling away comes, meaning the apostasy, and the man of sin is revealed and the son of perdition. The apostasy talking about those people who profess to be believers, but who were not real believers. And one of the things we'll find out when we get to the time of the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation is that there will be people going into the tribulation, not who are believers, not real believers, true believers are raptured, but there will be many people who professed Christ or who said they believed in Christ, but there was never any reality, there was never any change in their lives. And they'll be shocked as they wake up the next day and all of their friends and relatives are raptured, but they are not. Uh, 
And it's going to be quite an interesting thing to watch. And so there will be people, probably a lot of those people will realize what happened and realize that they didn't know Christ. But when this time of the tribulation comes, it's going to begin to test people. Probably a lot of those will become tribulation saints. But certainly there will be people during the time of the tribulation who had never believed, who will believe. But again, it's going to cost them. So as we look at verse two, now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. So the dragon or Satan is giving his authority to the first beast, the Antichrist. Seven times in this chapter, chapter 13, we are told that the beast was given authority by the dragon or Satan. And let's not forget something that ultimately God is allowing this. He's letting it play out. Because the world needs to see that as Satan fell from from heaven and he was cast down to the earth, that he reveals his true colors. And let me say this about that. As this chapter goes on to tell us more and more and more about Satan. Listen, if you are a Satan worshiper, if anyone you know is, or let me say it to you this way. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a God worshiper, you are a Jesus worshiper. But if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, guess what? You are a Satan worshiper. If you don't know Christ, meaning you are a Satan worshiper, let me appeal to you before this sermon is over. Please give your heart to Christ. Please turn. Now let's continue. Verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So what happens there is, uh, it it would seem the Antichrist, because he's talking about the imagery of the beast with the ten heads, and he says one of his heads was, was mortally wounded. That means, you know, Mortal means you're dying or you're dead. And so the belief is, although this isn't said specifically, is that there's an assassination attempt most likely on the Antichrist's life. And you could sort of see this, right? A sniper, a headshot from a mile away, trying to take him out because he's an evil man. But here's what happens, right? He doesn't die. His mortal wound is healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So verse 4, so they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Now this is all language saying Satan's beast, Satan's man, the Antichrist. Who is like him? Who is like the beast? Who is like the Antichrist? Who is able to make war with him? I mean, if you can't kill him. How can you make war with them? Now they've already forgotten what God did, right, with the two witnesses? Remember that a few weeks ago in chapter 11? God had his two witnesses there for the first three and a half years, preaching every day, and for some unknown reason, the the world television system is broadcasting the messages every day that these prophets are speaking. And then the time comes when they died, but then they were resurrected, and then God took them up to heaven, and all the world saw it. Remember when they died, there was Dead Prophets Day. They made it sort of like Christmas. They made it like a holiday. 
But now here we are where Satan is, is sort of, you know, doing a similar thing, right? He, he was attempted to be killed. He had this mortal wound, but then he was resurrected. And people have already forgotten what happened with the false prophets. Rather than worshiping God because of what he did with the false prophets, now they're worshiping the beast. Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? In Exodus 15, after God delivered the nation of Israel from the hand of Pharaoh, these words were written, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. Or in Isaiah 46, of the Lord, it says, To whom will you liken me, and make me equal, and compare me, that we should be alike? But yet here, the Antichrist is causing the earth to worship, the, uh, the, the dragons causing the world to worship the Antichrist. So in verse 5, And he was given a mouth now, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months, three and a half years. And so now we're crossing at this point, the midpoint, and that 42 months, that three and a half years, is now the second half of the tribulation, And it's what we often term the Great Tribulation. So we refer to the whole seven years as the Tribulation period, but we refer to the second half as the Great Tribulation because these bold judgments that we haven't yet gotten to are about to be poured out because the Antichrist, as we're going to find out in a moment, has gone and declared himself to be God. And we find out in Daniel chapter 7, right, as this refers to this very thing, Remember, we talked about this, that the Old Testament just has, plays such a strong role in this. Daniel 7. Daniel says, I watched then because the sound of the pompous words, which the horn was speaking, remember the little horn, and I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. And the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up before the three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. So this is Daniel describing this same situation from many, many, many hundreds of years ago prior to this, saying what's going to happen, that this beast This one head, the one head that was mortally wounded, that really is the appearance of the Antichrist. He's already been prophesied that he would speak pompous words and he would blaspheme the name of God. Verse 6, he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Remember the first three and a half years, he was everybody's friend. In the second three and a half years, he's everybody's enemy. Daniel 7.25 says, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High. And he shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. That's exactly what's happening here now. In verse 7, It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now remember, so we can keep this in perspective as we've talked about how uh, 
The type of literature is different, that we go with Semitic thought and Hebrew thought that sort of gives us a high level, then comes back and keeps giving us more details and keeps spiraling down in in terms of detail. Earlier, we've, we've heard of these things about the saints. So Daniel 7.21, I saw that the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. That's what we were just told here in verse 7. Remember back in Revelation 6, when we were studying that, these words are written. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So we saw already there a preview of what was happening in heaven, that God had taken those saints who had been slain and he was protecting them in heaven under the altar. And then they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, how, Lord, how long until you judge and avenge our blood on those who did this to us? And then in verse 11 of chapter 6, then a white robe was given to each of them and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So he's saying, you know, I'm sorry, but it's not over yet. There's more coming, you know, get ready, make room. There's some more coming that are going to join you. And then in chapter seven of Revelation, uh, then one of the elders came to me, John, this is coming to John saying, uh, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And he says, Um, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So again, pointing to the fact that these people, what we're reading about right now, are going to be persecuted and prosecuted by the Antichrist. So in verse 8, then all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life, meaning all of those who don't know Christ. At this point in time, during the time of the tribulation that's now become the great tribulation, they will worship Satan. Why? Because their names were not written in the book of life. They're not born again. They don't have the spirit of God. They don't know him, which means they are prone to the deception of Satan. And so let that also be a warning for any who don't know Christ. You are a sitting duck. You are an easy target for Satan to bring his deception and deceive you into thinking that he is God and that he is right and that his way is the best way. I love this quote by D.L. Moody. Again, talking about this, those whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. D.L. Moody said, I'm glad God chose me beforehand because he surely would not have chosen me afterward. It's sort of like that idea, if you got to know me, you wouldn't like me, you know, kind of a thing. But all throughout the, the scriptures, I just, you know, part of my study, right, I went and I looked and all the times this book of life is spoken of. And there's so many opportunities throughout the Bible that we are given for our names to be written in the book of life. And the foundation of the world goes way back to the beginning of time to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 as God began to speak the worlds into existence. And then we find this verse, this familiar verse in verse 9, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Now we heard that when Jesus spoke parables. In the Gospels, we heard that 
when Jesus um, just, you know, talked to people and told them stories. We heard it in the seven letters to the seven churches. In fact, it's interesting, if you, if you read the Gospels and you kind of read them with, you know, if I see that, you know, if anyone has an ear, you'd be surprised how much it actually occurs. One commentator said that this, this phrase, this verse, if anyone has an ear, let him hear, should be a warning to everyone to accept the light of God's word when it is available. The consequences of rejecting light is to have light removed. Another one said, in every age, God speaks to those who will hear, which is a concept mentioned frequently in the Gospels. So again, if there's anyone today here who has not yet responded to the Gospel, to the call of the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus, please do so today while it is still called today. Verse 10. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. In other words, this persecution and this prosecution, which is unholy by the beast, by the Antichrist, and ultimately by the false prophet, is something that God will use to judge them. And God has said again throughout the Bible, especially the Old Testament, that when people are evil and do evil things to people, that God will often take that very thing that they did and turn it against them as judgment. But here he said, here is the patience and the faith of the saints, realizing that as the Lord said, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. You see, we aren't called to avenge the wrongs that are done against us as believers in Christ. That belongs in God's hand. And then we move into verse 11 here, the second beast, the false prophet. Then I saw, verse 11, another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. So you can see he's a bit lesser than the Antichrist. So he was like a lamb and he spoke like a dragon. He's directly inspired and uh, speaking from the empowerment of Satan. He's a deceiver, transforming himself into something that he is not. He is insidious, evil, and demonic. Yet, Paul tells us to watch out for this in 2 Corinthians 11, where he says, For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers... That's who we have here, the Antichrist and the false prophet, also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. So understand it this way. The dragon is the anti-father. The beast rising from the sea is the Antichrist. And the beast rising from the land is the anti-Holy Spirit. And that's what we looked at earlier in that chart as we started the study today. And then in verse 12... This beast, he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So he becomes the person who's out there. He's the PR guy. He's the press secretary. He's the VP. He's the guy pushing the Antichrist's agenda. And so he's there to cause the earth and its dwellers to worship the beast. 
His job, like the anti-Holy Spirit, is to draw all men to the beast. Whereas the job of the Holy Spirit is to do what? To draw men to Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to draw men to Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit wants to remind us of the work of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is always pointing us to Jesus. And this anti-Holy Spirit, this beast, this false prophet is doing all of those things on behalf of the beast. Not pointing people to Jesus, but pointing people ultimately to Satan. And he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. So he's that false prophet. He acts like Elijah. He likes like, acts like the prophets who called down fire or the prophets who did great things in the name of God, except he does them in the name of his God who is Satan. And in verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do. So again, he's empowered by the power of Satan in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to do what? To make an image, to make an idol. Now remember you're told in the Bible, we don't make idols to anyone. And he's telling everybody on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Now, if he's telling everybody that, that makes you wonder about enforcement. Will they come and inspect your home to see, did you make the idol? Or did you buy the idol? Do you have one in your home? Are you worshiping the beast? Signs and wonders will be counterfeited by this false prophet, just like Pharaoh's false prophets did. Both Jesus and Paul warned that in the end there would be false prophets. And this is leading up to the time of the tribulation. Once we get into the tribulation, there will be the false prophet who will be those warnings on steroids. And he will do all of those things. Jesus said in Matthew 24 again, false Christ and false prophets will arise, showing great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. His desire is not just to deceive those who are already deceived, but to deceive those who are the elect of God, who are Israelis who have believed in Jesus or even the tribulation saints. And he says, see, I've told you beforehand. In other words, I've warned you. And then as you read through 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 again, you see this again. God will allow a strong delusion to come through the Antichrist. In Deuteronomy 13, you find the accounting of the Old Testament with uh, the false prophets there of Pharaoh, how they uh, came in. And then he warns against false prophets in general. Then in verse 15, it says, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So think about this picture for a minute. He tells everybody on the earth, all of the earth dwellers at that time, you must build an image to the beast. And then he's going to, to, to give animation to the image. So it's as if, this is the picture I believe he's given us, that everyone who has an image of the beast in their home, that image is going to begin to speak to them. Talk about freaking you out, right? 
He's going to give breath to the image of the beast. Not just, I believe there will probably be, sort of like in Daniel, remember you know, Nebuchadnezzar built his big image and all of that. Imagine if that started speaking. But if your image in your home begins to speak to you, again, that sort of emulates the Holy Spirit, right? And he begins to exercise power and control and ability to enforce and to execute, and he implements or institutes the death penalty for refusing to worship the image. So the Antichrist, through the work of the false prophet, now begins to enforce, you must worship me. And in verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. So here's the picture. You worship the beast, you get a mark. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So during this period of time, there will be a literal mark on the right hand or on the forehead of people. We aren't told exactly how that will play out, but from where we sit today in human history, it's not very hard to imagine this, is it? It could easily be a tattoo. It could easily be some kind of technological implant. We know today we already have these phones where you can pay with your phone. You have an e-wallet on your phone, regardless of which you know, person's phone you, or company's phone you have. You have Samsung Pay, Google Pay, Apple Pay. You now have, if you have a smart watch, I pay all the time with this thing. Double click it and pay. It's just so cool, right? Bing. But now we have this new thing called Bitcoin tokens that's coming about. If anyone's following what's happening with world currency, it's very quietly going on behind the scenes. If you're following any of this in the news, not on the mainstream media, but it is happening. The governments across the world are uniting to try and and make a common one world currency. It's all in the works. It's very real. There was, as I was just Googling this to see what was out there today, I found an article on CNET.com, which is one of the computer geekazoid websites. Um, It says, scientists have developed a GPS system that can track inside the human body. So these are things they're using allegedly for medical technology, but it's it's developed by researchers at MIT just down the street, and it can track implants within an accuracy of 1.4 centimeters. So these implants are used in the human body to ferret out disease and to give them insight on the accuracy of treatments that are being given to people. (coughs) But... You know, it's not hard to see that you could take this and turn it around to be used for technology to track people. We already know we're being tracked, right? If you have anything electronic, you're being tracked. But this is saying, and I believe it's going to happen exactly as it's written, that people during this period of time will be forced to take this mark on their hand or on their forehead. And so what is this mark? You can read, people speculate all over the map about what this mark will be and how it will be. Certainly we have already implantable RFID chips, right? It's already being used for your pet. Maybe your pet has one. So if they get lost, you can track them down. And these, these tracking technologies are accurate to, to within less than 10 feet from global positioning satellites. So that's just today. 
You know, what's it going to be like when this actually happens? How much more advanced could it be at that point in time? So we could speculate about all of that and muse upon it. I don't think it's fruitful except to know that it will happen. And when we get to verse 18, boy, has this one ever generated a lot of, a lot of uh, discussion. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. I've got here no less than six or seven theories and speculative ideas on uh, what is that, how does it come about, you know, numerology, the Hebrew alphabet and the Greek alphabet uh, have, you know, Hebrew is 22, I forget how many letters in the Greek alphabet, but they each, you know, they don't have a numerical system, the, the numbers are the the letters are the number, you know, just like we have in our alphabet, A through Z, 26 letters, and each one would represent one, two, three, four, all the way to 26. And so people have come up with a speculation of how many people's names throughout history have added up to 666 if you take the letters and you add them up. And uh, so people have had a lot of fun with that, I suppose. But at the bottom of the whole thing is this mark is going to somehow identify the person who takes the mark as the property of the beast. It means that you belong to Satan. And let's not forget that by the sealing of the Holy Spirit, we are marked for God. And we are told in the beginning of time here in the book of Revelation, as we've been studying it, that that the people who come to believe in Christ during the time of the tribulation, that they also will be marked for God as his property. Remember, we were told that when we get to heaven on uh, one day, that we will each be given a new name and uh, we will will be recognized by the mark of God. And we aren't told what that is. In a sense, it's invisible to us, but it's visible to God. And here, the Antichrist is going to make whatever his mark is a very visible mark like a stamp, like saying, you are mine, you're my property, you belong to me. You see, today, to be caught up in and embroiled in the worship of Satan, again, if you don't know and worship Jesus Christ, then by default, you know and you worship Satan. You see, today, while the church is still here, before the rapture of the church, while the gospel is being freely preached, you can turn, you can repent, you can come to Christ. And that bond, that bondage can be broken. But during the time of the tribulation, while people will be saved, it will be much harder. And those who are already deceived will be deceived in a more easy and a more complete way. So during this time, as the Antichrist has committed the abomination of desolation, as he's declared himself to be God, and as he's forcing people to take his mark, At that point, there will be a point of no return. If you live in the world at that time, you're here during the time of the tribulation and you end up taking his mark, don't be deceived into thinking, well, I'll take the mark so I can still eat and do business, but I'm not going to really believe in him. You see, if you take the mark, you take the mark. If you take the mark, you belong to him. If you take the mark, you are in essence professing allegiance to him as your master. Who is your master? Is it the beast, the antichrist, the dragon, the false prophet? Or is your master Jesus Christ? 
That's where we're headed, folks. It's a, it's a big decision. It's a simple decision. Jesus or Satan. It becomes very simple when you get into the tribulation. And the devil is going to do his best to convince people to love and to believe in him. So while it's still called today, let's pray that the Holy Spirit will move and work and, and do his work in drawing people to himself. And let's let people, let's pray for people. Let's share the gospel with people. Let's let them know that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, to redeem them unto himself so that they don't have to belong to the evil one. Lord, thank you for your word today. Uh, we know, as your servant John said, the, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And in no time period will it be more true than during this period of history. But Lord, right now, there's still an opportunity. And so we, right now, Lord, probably under our breath, we, we utter the names of those people whom we are praying for. Relatives, people close to us, sons, daughters, friends. Lord, because we want to see them at the throne of grace, we want to see them in heaven and chapters four and five of Revelation around your throne worshiping with us. And so, Lord, we pray for those folks and we say, Lord Jesus, we know that you've delayed your coming as a means of grace so that people might come to know you. But we also say, as Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So, Lord, we look to you this morning. You're our God. You're our Father. And as we come to your table right now, we remember, Lord, through the table even, that we are sealed. We're sealed unto Christ. We're so grateful for that, God. We're so thankful for what you've done. Thank you that we belong to you and that we have your mark upon us. So as we come to the table, would you bless us and help us to remember the good things you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're gonna sing a song. The men will pass out the elements and we'll partake together.